Let's spell a song so you can sing along with my special guest star two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. Welcome back to another episode of Life's But a Song, a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals. I'm your host, John, and with me today are two very special guests, and I'm so happy they picked this movie. They are the band Crimson Calamity, and they also host the podcast called Liner Notes. It's Mallory Trinell and Lauren Harding, everyone. Hi. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you. And how dare you to make me watch this movie that I love. <laughs> <laughs> We love it, too. We like to tempt people with a good time. <laughs> I feel like I haven't seen it in maybe like two years, and I'm very upset with myself. I'm going to just say that I don't watch it like once a month. <laughs> I, yeah, it's definitely one of those one one of those movies that you could watch once a month and never get sick of it. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm the nerd that will watch the whole Red Curtain trilogy like all year long, Ooh. like throughout the year. I have to watch it Multiple times. <laughs> I've been meaning to rewatch Romeo and Juliet, if Oof. I do say so myself. But we're here to talk about Moulin Rouge, everyone. Moulin Rouge, wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> Came out in 2001. That's 20 years ago, I everyone. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> it still holds up, though. It does. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, even the one, like, little stupid... Um, CGI that they do when uh, during the pitch with John Leguizamo, mm-hmm. like that that was cheesy back then. So yeah, yeah. Supposed, I think it was supposed to be like because it's all fantastical anyway. So it's right. I would say that the creative team definitely chose to be avant garde and push the limits of theatricality to cheesy oh, and beyond yeah. for yes. sure. Yeah, all the and- glitter. All the pomp and circumstance, all the opulence, all the cheese. In true Baz fashion. Yes. Everything. And we're talking about screenwriter Baz Luhrmann and director of this movie. Um, the other screenwriter was Craig Pierce. Mm-hmm. And according to IMDb, a poor bohemian poet in 1890s Paris falls for a beautiful courtesan and nightclub star whom a jealous duke covets. That, I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, but they don't There's mention cover songs. <laughs> they don't mention the jukeboxness of it. It is a jukebox musical, and it, I I would dare say that it is the it's not the only jukebox musical, but it is all it is the one that all should should try and live up to, in my opinion. My yeah. humble opinion. It's a gold standard. It is a gold standard of jukebox musicals. Yeah, I feel like it definitely is one of the rare ones where the songs really do interweave with the plot. And they're not the just, it's not like the plot, it's not like the songs dictate the plot. They really do weave in. Because I feel like that can, it can lend, a lot of like, that kind of stuff can lend more toward, um, well, and I guess they're now, now we've had TV shows that have become kind of jukebox TV shows like Glee and stuff like that. And I do feel like the, the, the songs will lend, you know, like be, the, like they pick um, the songs first and then they write the script yeah, around right, it. Yeah. They'll kind of dictate what the plot is instead of the other way around. And I feel like they just did such a great job of of blending the two in, in Moulin Rouge. Would you change any of the songs? I mean, granted, well, we have, we've had 20 years more uh, worth of music since then. Right. So... We were just talking about this. Yeah. We... Because the musical... The Broadway, oh, yeah. musical. Broadway musical did that. And they did. We are not sure how we feel about that. Yeah. Have you guys seen it yet? I haven't, I haven't seen, seen it, seen but it. I've heard it. I've listened to the soundtrack, and um, my mom and my sister saw it before it went to Broadway in Boston. I did too. It and was you did? fantastic. <laughs> we they... had a friend uh, who actually just performed as one of the Can Can dancers on the Tonys as well. Mm-hmm. Oh. So we kind of watched that. That's um, awesome. Yeah. But I and I think so. My perspective is that maybe the intention was let's put these newer songs in to bring a new generation into the ideals of truth, beauty, freedom, and love that mm-hmm. are written into the fabric of the original movie. Uh, whether or not that is super successful, uh, in my opinion, I don't know. But I mean, 
clearly people are raving about it. It won a lot of Tonys, and it's on it Broadway seemingly to stay. So it was. You know. I was reading like it nominated for fourteen. It won ten. Yeah, wild. I I could list them, but just go find them elsewhere. Whoever's listening to this, <laughs> but it, uh, the the so the movie came out in two thousand one. The stage version premiered in Boston in 2018 and then it opened on Broadway July 25th 2019 you know the before times if you will <laughs> yes the before times <laughs> but the big thing that they did in this is that they changed the show within the show and yes. i don't know how i feel about that personally like i saw this show 2 years 3 years ago whenever it was in Boston and they so instead of the um, spectacular, spectacular that's in the movie, mm-hmm. they are doing like a very serious play. And I'm just like, but then how does music and dance and everything else go along with it? And they right. don't really answer that. But they do start act two with bad romance and it is sexy as hell. <laughs> I see. I approve of that. Yeah. There's yeah. some of the placements like Royals by Lord makes sense to me. We'll never be Royals. Yeah. That, that enhances the plot. Uh, um, in, instead of what did they do here for um, the Green Fairy? Instead of uh, Children of the Revolution slash uh, The Hills Are Alive, they do Chandelier as the Green Fairy song. Right. Which I drink the absinthe? I'm going to swing from the chandelier. Which is yeah. done very well from when I saw it. I remember like ev- all the women in the cast were dressed as like the Green Fairy, and like two ensemble men would like lift them as they would do like a a lift i guess <laughs> lack of a better term <laughs> like they, they it was a very lyrical dance thing where they would like jump around the stage and everything and it it looked beautiful i do say so and they were a thing like rewatching this movie there were things that they they the stage version took so like in uh Latango de Roxanne when he's walking through all the dancers, mm-hmm. they do something similar to that on the stage version. I'm glad so. to hear that because that's my favorite part of the whole yes, movie. <laughs> that part is so good. What is your least favorite song? I mean in the movie? In the movie, yeah. Okay. I have to think for a second. Um, I have to think about it. I've got um, I've got mm, Let's hear yours. Yeah, let's I've hear got yours. Three. Three? Okay. Well, okay. So one day I'll fly away. I usually skip that That's one. Favorite. I love. I'm that so song. sorry. I, it, apparently, it's all Nicole Kidman songs too that I'm skipping. Um, the other one is Georgi. Mm, I can't pronounce that one. I just forgot that it's in the movie. It's around. It's after Elephant Love Medley. Wait, which part is that? Um, that after that's Elephant her. Love Medley. She's uh, she's in the red dress. Mm-hmm. Again, um, it's when she's singing and like you, we see Christian in his apartment. So wait, are we talking about? Wait, no, she's singing and we see Christian in his apartment. It's like a reprise kind of. It's short, right? It's a short thing, yeah. Yes. Okay, I, just, I know what part you're talking about. I just forgot it was in the movie. Like I, I saw the list and I was <laughs> like, "What That's is this?" That's de facto I kind of just your least too, favorite. So. <laughs> yeah, and then "Fool to Believe" is another. Oh yeah, that dramatic like, part. Yeah. Um, wait, I won't sing it because yeah. that's like yeah. <laughs> you could sing a line, and that's fine, I guess. <laughs> it's under fair use, I get. I think. Okay. Well, I don't want to get anybody in trouble. We we do music on our podcast, so we're very conscientious yeah. of that. <laughs> oh. Um, but yeah, I uh, I think my least favorite song. Um, because I can't ask you what your favorite one because everyone ha- like will just start listing all the songs. All basically, yeah. I but there I has to be one that like either. Although you know. Hmm. You know, like, but way back in the day when you were watching the DVD, you're like, next chapter. I don't need to l- yeah, watch this one. Um, I honestly don't skip anything. I, don't I know either. that's terrible. I really don't. It's, it's one of my favorite films, so. Yeah. That's fair. That's okay. It's, yeah. And that is allowed. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do, um, there are parts that are 
you know, maybe you have to be in the mood for on any given day. Like, the nature of the film, I've watched it with several people who can't handle it because the editing style was so brand new. Mm -hmm. And, like, the quick cuts and the speeding up and the slowing down, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant, too. But I know people who are like, I can't keep, like, this is too much stimulation for me. I cannot keep watching this. It's too much. Well, that's the thing about Baz, too, is it's, it's like, organized chaos, and that's what he's good at, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah, like we all watched Romeo and Juliet. It had similar, there were similar elements in there. Yeah, and the same with Gatsby and I think someone made a joke. I can't remember who it was, but they said like a Baz Luhrmann film or the Red Curtain trilogy is just watching. It's like when you hit the fast forward button and each movie, it gets faster. (laughs) (laughs) Like the speed speeds up. And I was like, that's so true. (laughs) It, uh. Because Strictly Ballroom, they they t- they all talk very quickly. They aren't moving as quickly. And then in Romeo and Juliet, there's the talking and the moving. And then Moulin Rouge is just like you can't even understand what they're saying because it's moving so quickly. <laughs> the, the the thing is, is like the aesthetic. I I because w- I was just watching watching it and like, I mean, obviously the costumes are incredible, but the aesthetic of the entire movie. I was like, wow, this had such an influence on, I feel, on the early aughts. I it, feel be, like it became like the gold standard, I feel like, for musical movies. Yeah. Yes. From that moment on. Because yeah, then, cause like, we get Chicago three years nine. later. Yeah. And that one blew everyone away. But, like, I feel like Moulin Rouge walked so these other musical movies can, like, go the distance. Fly. Fly, if you will. With their wings. (laughs) I don't know if you all remember this, but it did win uh, two Oscars, Best Production Design and Best Costume Design. Mm -hmm. It was nominated. It was nominated for Best Picture as well. It was nominated for Best Picture. I don't remember what won, though. That year... 2001, 2002. I don't remember, but who I rem- cares? I remember feeling, though, like, I was like, well, I love Moulin Rouge, but it's not going to win because whatever won definitely should have won. Right. So yeah. Have. I mean, shoulda, coulda, woulda in our retrospect, in our opinion. Uh, so y'all have a band, a two person band. Do you, have you covered Elephant Love Medley yet? No, but we, that's, that would be fun. No, we haven't. But I, I remember in high school, we did this like huge review every year. And my senior year, uh, me and this guy, I was like in my, like, my black prom dress uh, on stage, and we sang Come What May. Yes, yes, I can see it now. So if you guys were to record it, who would sing what part? Or would you just like, switch back and forth? I would definitely sing Ewan McGregor's part, because... Oh. I mean, I Uh-oh. just feel like... I get Uh-oh. to be a Satine? <laughs> yeah. Yay! Okay, cool. I oh, mean... I didn't know if that was like a, oh, we're going to fight now. For oh, no. this. <laughs> I, I was gonna be shocked. Not about that. Other things, yeah, but this, this one. I mean, I just have a lower voice than Mallory, and I can sing like a man. So, um, <laughs> I will. But he he's a tenory voice. Yeah, 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 I can. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not super low. No, it's not. Yeah, you it's well, just right. Now we know because you volunteered as tribute. So I wrote a bunch of questions down for while watching this movie, and maybe y'all can answer some of them. Okay. For example, why did Nini sell out Satine to the Duke? I never understood that. She is a jealous biatch. I mean, we can see that, but like, there's never really confirmation because there's other scenes, like when Satine dies at the end, or even when Christian comes back before the, like when they're doing Spectacular Spectacular, she's not acting jealous anymore. Yeah. So... That's one of those, like, Shakespearean moments that doesn't get resolved, I feel like. But I do remember, because I've watched it so many times, and maybe it's sad that I know this, but there are moments where you actually see her in the background when, when like, during the rehearsal scene where, like, um, it's a lot of, it's like a montage when they're singing Come What May the first time, and it shows them all at rehearsals. I mean, she says a couple lines at one point, too, but you do see her in the background, like, catching them in the act, like Christian and Satine. You'll see her walk by, and you're like, oh, crap, she's going to see them. And she does I see them. Well, never I never noticed that. Ambition too, because, he, you know, the I Duke think is she to... wants to be the sparkling diamond right. as well. Mm. 
not just a diamond dog, a sparkling no. diamond. No, no, honey. She wants to be the star. So I was researching a little bit more on the film and the Moulin Rouge. I feel like the personas that they created is not real. Like, <laughs> like I mean, like in the real Moulin Rouge. Like, right, the yeah. actual right. Moulin Rouge. The Moul- yeah, so like we have 24 characters that are based off of male fetishes uh, with their costuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from what I read with the real place, it's just like a cabaret hall mm-hmm. where they would do dances and burlesque burlesque yeah and then it actually opened like 10 years before the movie started so mm-hmm. i mean i don't know if it was really this popular but like as popular as the movie depicts in 10 years that's awesome yeah <laughs> yeah well i think that's one reason why like it seems to me like baz Luhrmann when he does a movie he really does lots of pre-planning and conceptualization yes. and even like rehearsal with the yes. actors that most other filmmakers don't do they actually spent a, about a year on that film not pr- before but they did about they had like a workshop mm-hmm. and then they did about three months of rehearsal before they even started filming in fact he's been it's the 20th anniversary of moulin rouge coming out as a film but it's also the 25th anniversary of romeo and juliet and he's been sharing all this like i've been living for it he's been sharing all this behind the scenes like conceptualization um, work that he did with like Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes in Romeo and Juliet. And I believe if you scroll back on his Instagram, you see a lot of that from Moulin Rouge. He did that earlier in the year. So if you want like some behind the scenes that aren't on like a DVD or something, mm-hmm. just go to the, to the Baz Luhrmann's Instagram. I guess I'm promoting him now. Hi, Baz. Hi, Baz. <laughs> Thank you for creating such a magical movie. Oh, like, yes, for real. Please. Thank you. I did read though that it took him about two and a half years to get all the music rights yep yeah which do you also work in like the film industry like does that seem i i know that there's what like 24 songs in this show in the show huh movie some of them are reprises so little less than that but like does that seem like a long time or is that like just about the right? I would right? say that's pretty standard. There's some heavy hitting songs. I mean, getting an Elton John song cleared, a David Bowie song, David Bowie songs cleared, oh, U2 yeah. songs cleared, yeah. Rolling Stones. I mean, there's a lot of big the artists, police. yeah, yeah, that they use. So it's kind of like um, Elephant Love Medley along. It takes alone. as long as it takes, you know. And I guess they were just willing to wait, which we we're glad that they were. And I think that's another reason probably why the Broadway musical didn't end up with some of the songs because maybe they weren't able to relicense them again mm. for the stage so many years later. Maybe those artists or the people that handle those catalogs were like, no, not this time. Yes. However, in the Broadway musical, Elephant Love Medley is more songs. They li- <laughs> they literally, it seemed like they just... I think that's just... what I don't like about it because I feel like they just <laughs> like threw songs in there that i'm like wait what i don't it didn't need it it was perfection it didn't need anything else but then you have the duke singing only girl in the world that part was pretty cool i i did kind of like that that's <laughs> um, it's amazing because you're just like you're listening to it and you're like is this the rihanna song <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you all know this but like the one sort of original song quote end quote is Come What May, but that was written for Romeo and Juliet, and it got snubbed at the Oscars because it was not originally for this movie. Mm-hmm. How do y'all feel I about that? I did not know that. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. It, because... For, like, original song, they didn't nominate it for Because it had, they had originally written it for Romeo and Juliet? Yes. Ooh. That's dumb. That is <laughs> dumb, but also, <laughs> I, know. I did it. not know that. They didn't even use it in that movie. That's stupid. Right? I mean, I don't know where they would have used it in that movie. That would have been really weird. Yes. All of a to sudden, there's... To have in that movie. No, no Oh, thanks. I'm so glad they did. Hear <laughs> <laughs> <Your> Leo sing. <laughs> Who knows? It could have been Claire Danes' song. Huh? It could have been Claire Danes' song. That's true. Or John Leguizamo, who's also in that movie. Yes. Oh, yeah, yep. Tybalt. There's yeah. a good actor right there. For him to play Tybalt and be so evil and then play Toulouse and be so lovable. And on his knees the Just, entire movie. I love that guy. He's awesome. Oh, he's so good in this. 
He's so good in everything. But... I wish he was in Strictly Ballroom then. I know. So well, Strictly be... Ballroom is funny because it's like there's not really like a star in that movie. That's an it's a, all Australian actors. Yes. Um, it was definitely more of an indie budget. It was an independent film that kind of swept all the Australian festivals and got picked up by other film festivals around the world and. It's um, sort of what like led him to be able to do. I think it made his name for him, and then he was like, "Okay, I'm gonna keep playing this game." He had all these ideas ready to go, and thank God. Yeah. And then yeah. Romeo and Juliet is the one that put him on the map for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. If not that, then this movie, because now, like, well, after I mean, it's kind of like you know, uh, I think you're right. Romeo and Juliet put him on the map, and then. He became a household name with Moulin Rouge. Yes, for sure. Everyone knows this movie. Like, yeah. it's been played on TV a lot. Um, mm-hmm. It was such a big success. Because, like, if memory serves to you, musical movies weren't really as prevalent as they are now. Because, mm-hmm. you know, now we get... fallen away. Yeah, for yeah. a while. Because now we get, like, a few movies a year. Maybe one or two. This year, we're getting more Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. Uh, but because when, oh, and then once this movie came out, like it just blew up everything. And I guess, like, it, oh, musicals will make money again. Music, yeah. And, and the stars can sing. What? <laughs> They're just that, like us. I think that's the other thing, too. The fact that they got Ewan McGregor, Nicole Kidman, and the rest of the cast to actually sing their own parts and mm-hmm. not be dubbed yeah like did it well and i feel like even though obviously they're they definitely did some some tuning and all that uh on, on auto-tune what? what never that, it was pretty never. new but i tuned I, vocals was a new thing at that time I, too. it was it was mm-hmm. um but i feel like they did such a uh tasteful job Whereas some other it's, movies and musicals and TV shows and stuff don't do as tasteful of a job. Well, it just sounds just completely auto-tuned or melodyned. I think that is also a product of the talent that you're starting with. And sometimes, you know, actors have been cast that maybe weren't at the same ability level naturally. True, but sometimes somebody doesn't need it and you're like, why are you doing that to them? They don't need that. Well, because you know? everything is tuned now. Yeah. Everything's tuned, and all the visuals have filters, and it's just the world we live in, and I I don't know. That's the teacher in me. I teach music lessons, and I'm always telling the kids I teach, like, you, if you go a little sharp or a little flat, it's okay, because you're not auto-tuned. Like, you're singing along to a very auto-tuned track right now. It's okay. You don't have to be perfect. <laughs> like, I was belting my face off during this show, this movie, and oh, yeah, I was probably to. off. Yeah, of course. I... I sang both parts during Alpha and Love Medley. What's up? <laughs> there's, there's a Moulin Rouge drinking I game do that out there. Too. When I sing it by myself, I definitely sing both parts. Oh, yeah, you have to. Yeah. You do all the voices. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. And then, you know, when they do, when they end with I Will Always Love You, you, you start with Christian, then you end with... Yes. <laughs> the guy at the very, very end, the, like <laughs> the, the moon. Upright, the, the moon. moon. <laughs> uh, Placido Domingo, you mean? Yes. Pla- oh, yeah, it's Placido Domingo. Completely forgot. Yes, I I have I watched it on Amazon, so like I hovered over it, and there's like the little oh. extra, you know. And they sometimes tell you like who's in the scene and some fun facts from right. IMDb and all that. That's and I was cool. just I saw Placido Domingo as the Man in the Moon. I was just like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> so cool. Of course they got Placido Domingo to play that role. Like, <laughs> and Bowie sings Nature's Nature's Boy. Well, does he sing that, or is that John Leg? Well, originally, yeah, but John Leguizamo covers it, right? No, so it's not. It's actually an old standard originally. And oh, in the movie. Oh, is it? I'm I've, now on my. I no, my memory at the is, very beginning, I think it is Bowie. I it is Bowie right. in the beginning of the movie, but I the, think that the there first. is a part where John Leguizamo does sing it at the end. Too, mm-hmm. At the end. Mm-hmm. At the end. I was yeah, a little. The greatest thing, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little confused at the end of this movie, actually. Is it saying that the Moulin Rouge closed down after Satine died? I couldn't, I don't really know, like, because they... Oh, I'm trying to remember if they go into that. Um... They, they don't They don't say anything. But when you watch it, Christian is finishing up his novel, 
uh, and the lights are off at the Moulin Rouge. Oh. So I wasn't sure if it was like because it's daytime it's off or because like the star died that they're like, well, we're not going to open up anymore. They had put all their money and uh, the Duke's money think- into... Maybe it's open to interpretation. I don't know. But I I think I thought, oh, yeah, that closed down because of what happened. She died. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that's not the case. I know. It's that's it was such a bummer. I was really, really hoping it wouldn't be a Romeo and Juliet as much ending at the end of that. But I I think it makes it more poignant. Like, yeah. And it's it's only half Romeo and Juliet because, yeah. But I just mean, like, you know, the sad ending, I feel like, makes the entire film grounded in a little bit more reality and, like, Well, you don't poignant. expect it. You don't... When it's you're not watching just a basic whole... happy ending of a musical. Right. And you expect that from the end. You expect it to be a happy... Like, the first time you watch it, you're expecting it to be a happy ending. Because even when they're, when they're serious, there's still something, like, goofy right. going on. Mm-hmm. And then... And they... I, there's, like... Obviously, when you know, you see the little hints of things with her health and stuff but i don't i almost feel like the first time i saw it i didn't catch all those things until all of a sudden at the end it's like i feel like though the way that it's edited it is like almost like takes knocks the what knocks the the breath out of you which well, is what you and her right and her literally and her, oh literally. my god <laughs> but it does it sort of like sucks all the air out and you're like oh my god well i think it's a roller coaster right because you have them standing on opposite sides of the theater and she starts to sing um a little a little bit and then oh, toulouse yells the greatest thing you'll ever learn and so he turns around and starts to sing and then they're singing at each other and you're like it's gonna be okay yeah. and i think you just think in your mind like Oh, they've got time together now, but then the time is very short. <laughs> like minutes, <laughs> minutes, seconds. Yes. Well, that was because I did read that it's based off the story is based off of three different operas, operettas. Mm. Uh, there's La Boheme, La Traviata, right. and Orfe. Uh, Orpheus. Orpheus. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I don't know French. I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> Orpheus yeah, in the underworld. Orpheus is in the University the is is the Greek mythology. Um, but it, yeah. uh, the operetta that it's based off of is by Jacques Offenbach, mm-hmm. and I did read, and I don't know how true this is, so grain of salt, everyone. And I think it was off of IMDb, but uh, they the tune of the pitch is from Orpheus in the Underworld. Like the the muse the underscore. You're right. It's the yeah. Uh huh. Which I think I think that is free range, so we could sum all of it. It's it's public domain, correct? Public domain. I'll be singing for Elise next. Great, awesome. The Star Spangled Banner. Nah. The other thing that I got to thinking about this movie is like who is French and who is not in this film because I I don't know if they're doing the typical well it's not an American film technically but like it was distributed primarily predominantly in America yeah. where all Europeans are Brit- have a British accent right. all of them this all is all a pervasive problem in Hollywood so I but like I wasn't yes. sure like uh, John Leguizamo is doing a french accent question mark <laughs> question mark i, I yeah. think he might even be castilian like he's he's definitely french because his name is toulouse right but he's got like the little lisp and i'm I'm almost wondering if he's like basque or like you know spanish and french there's uh, a language called basque b-a-s-q-u-e there's right. a little tiny region between france and spain called basque and i theorize that that is where toulouse is actually from because he's uh, got that little castilian th thing going on too they emph- I don't know if it's just a lisp and he's French either. Who knows? They emphasize that Christian is English, British. Yeah. Uh, but they don't say who everyone else is. And I was just like, well, is everyone else, are we all French? Are we, uh, except for Christian or and the Duke they baby? They are supposed to be, yeah. Like Satine. I mean, Satine that's a and Harold French are name. supposed to be French, I believe. But it's just funny because, like, they all sound British. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> and we don't know where the, and what the, Duke. the Duke, we don't know what the Duke is the Duke My of. Dear Duke. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Like, I, I feel like there are certain characters in this movie that it's their 
person, uh, their descriptor, if you will, like the Duke or Chocolat or, and mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't want to, like, I don't want to know their name, their real right. names. Right. Uh, well, who was the other one? Mom Fromage. She was the, uh, the bigger lady that yeah. hangs mm-hmm. out with Nanny Legs in the Air. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to know their real names. I, right. I, I want those names. Right. <laughs> yes. The fantastical I mean, theater names. Satine's name might not even have been Satine. Who? Right. It could. That could be just a stage name. A stage name. Oh, you, a good one. you're onto something now. <laughs> Baz Lerman, come on the pod and tell me if, you're, if we're right. Yes, Baz, please. <laughs> so I feel like I, I feel like. Are there any lines that was that you picked out? So I feel like. Well, Mally and I are, are, are strange, and we always like pick out random lines that make us laugh in movies that probably oh. don't make other people laugh. <laughs> are you oh, what did I? You do it. Oh, okay. And um, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I feel like we always just kind of bring up from this movie is, Mallory, you can do it. I'm going to just say it? I mean, I don't know. What, okay. what else do you want to... Well, there's, there's a random part in the movie, in Come What May, when they're going on... The Duke and Satine are like going on their picnic but Christian comes along and is like arm in arm with Satine and carrying the basket and the Duke's like lingering behind them and he says my dear a little frog and then in the next shot like they're singing and the <laughs> harmony and you see the Duke in the background and he's like trying to hit this frog with his cane and like stomping on him and making these like really weird noises and but my dear a little frog my is... dear a little frog <laughs> I don't know why I just want to know where they came up with that. Frequently, but... And, like, they had to CGI that frog in there, so it was planned. Like, I don't know how they did it. Maybe he was ad-libbing, and then, then they CGI'd the frog in just yeah, because maybe. he ad-libbed. It's, it's so weird. I guess to showcase that he's sort of a psychopath. And also not aware yeah, of, of what's what happening. Of yeah. <laughs> he thinks he's on this hot date. <laughs> I don't know. I was I busted out laughing... Uh, when he breaks the fourth wall in like a virgin, this oh, time yes. it's everything. It's the 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 fact that it's a musical number. They're singing Madonna. It's all men, uh, or or all gay men as dancers, and he has a very um. He has a way about him that I was watching it this time, and it was very like queer centric for me. This watch where he's got that lisp and you're just like mm, are you cuddling with your manservant there <laughs> some nights probably uh, i think i think so i, I think yeah. you're on to something i think yeah sure. I, think, I think that's why he was so like needing satine to be his wife because he probably had some other stuff going on but like, also harold in the beginning of that is just like my favorite thing Oh my god, that that whole number is amazing. It's incredible. I'm, all I'm saying is, there's a drinking game for Moulin Rouge where you're supposed to take like sips when certain characters do certain things, and one of them, I think, the one that gets you the most drunk is every time Harold Ziedler yells. Oh, oh no, that would get you drunk. <laughs> he yells so many times. <laughs> I think. I think one of the quotes that I do is one of the more famous one. It's everything's going so well yes i love that when one. you're lying to yourself <laughs> you're like yeah everything's fine we're fine you're fine <laughs> come up <with> me <laughs> yes oh see it's a mantra for life <laughs> it is it really is now when did you cry hmm. well right the well first during time this throughout last... the movie the, uh, during this last watch when did you cry the first time yes sometimes the one that gets me for whatever reason is the show must go on oh because it's that so one beautiful. gets me it's so beautiful yeah and I love even that song anyway and it's just an epic moment of the movie watching it i was just like i wonder how many times that one scene where Nicole Kidman comes out and the curtain closes behind her. I was like, I wonder how many takes they had to do for that just Ooh, to get it right? just right. Because it's one of those moments that you're like, this is too perfect for it to be one take it. You had to have done, there must've been like dozens where they where somebody fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> too many people involved to, 
right so it had and, to be an easy easy shot for and sure. you're you're dealing with a, an inanimate object which never goes well <laughs> never <laughs> on the first try never uh <laughs> for me i think it was your song oh yeah. like when they go on the cloud i think i just lost my mind and started crying oh. <laughs> if i remember correctly from this afternoon <laughs> a beautiful moment i i can totally understand why you would cry at that part i always cry when when christian thinks that it's over (gasps) like just devastated i i like i just always when she tells him that they have to end it yeah yeah and she breaks his heart on purpose Mm oh yeah that is so yes yes bravo Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Now I'm gonna go Every cry time. in a corner somewhere. <laughs> but like, and like that's such like a great acting moment for both of them because both of them. Um, I was I was also thinking about this earlier. Like Nicole Kidman did w- w- was like a star before this movie, but I think Ewan McGregor this was like his big breakout because he did Train Spotting. And Which? he did that Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Clockwork Orange? Wait, no, he's not in Oh wait, I'm Clockwork on crack, Orange. sorry. Um, Ignore. He, did trans- Delete. he did that um something about fishes. Well Big Fish came Big later. Fish. Big, Big Fish, fish came later? afterwards, Big fish yeah. Definitely later. Oh, for some reason I thought it came up. Yeah, Moulin Rouge is before Big Fish for sure. So I think this one like made him a star. Yeah. This movie was doing a lot of work for everyone involved. Yeah. Because then Jim Broadband, like, he shows up afterwards and you're like, but you're not fat anymore. What's up? Uh, he played Ziegler. Yeah. Right. Uh, but then you see him in Hot Fuzz and he looks completely different. Granted, you know, there's different prosthetics and makeup and everything. But, like, right. you're just like, oh, you lost a lot of weight. Good for you. And, yeah. And then you realize, oh, no, he was in a fat suit. uh let's see what other questions do i have for you oh so as musicians and singers yourselves how do you feel about like some of the act the like some of the actors voices do you think that they could have been made fuller or what use some technical terms surprise me (laughs) (laughs) I think Ewan McGregor's excellent. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, the cast as a whole is awesome. Um, I know there's people that hate on Nicole Kidman singing in the movie, but I think she did a good job. And uh, I also her- think that her acting and, like, the way that she commits to that character really balances it out. And I'm just of the opinion I would so much rather go to a musical or at the movies or on stage... I would rather watch someone act the sh out of something and maybe go a little sharper, a little flat a couple of times, but it doesn't matter because they're doing such a good job acting rather than just be a doe-eyed singer that doesn't right. put anything into it. Like, right. and, I, and honestly, yeah, I don't think I'm, because I do get picky about that stuff. Um, and I don't feel like anybody did, I, I don't know, I think just because of the, the nature of this particular film too, I feel like, it was poppy anyway, um, like pop and rock. So it, it was fine. But it, it, again, to your point, like even in like La La Land with um, Emma Stone, like people were hating on Emma Stone for, but I thought she did a great job and she acted the crap out of it. So it was like, mm-hmm. yeah. to me, it didn't matter that she wasn't this incredible singer. We could do a different episode where we talk about unsuccessful, unsuccessful movie musical oh. singers. I would be happy. You want to have us back for that, we can talk about that. <laughs> I'll do you bring have, the whiskey. Do you have one in, like, a movie in mind? Or oh, is yeah. it... oh, I've got several. Several, but one sticks out the most. So you... Oh! Oh, let's shit on a movie next time! Let's shit okay, on one! So, I'm so down. <laughs> but, because, you know, I, I do feel like Nicole Kidman's voice is a little thin, but I'm not sure if she's doing that on purpose. Because I don't know if you've seen a little film called Happy Feet, where she's a voice of a penguin. Right. Where she's doing a Marilyn Monroe voice and then sings in that style. So, like, I give her credit because, uh, you know, great she's job not all around. A singer. 
She's definitely no. not like a singer. She's definitely an actor who can sing. Yeah. But I think, and also the songs that she was singing, I mean, she, there's an interview, uh, the actor on actor interviews. She did one with Ewan McGregor a couple of years ago, and she was saying how she had to work so hard to hit those notes and stuff like that because it just didn't come easily for her. And she always, she felt that it came so much more easy to, to Ewan that he was just fantastic out the gate but she had to work really hard yeah and I think she did a great job her hard work paid off for sure because I think her performance in Moulin Rouge if I if I look at her performance in Moulin Rouge and then I look at her performance in nine when she sings oh, yeah. away and they had to take it down like an entire octave um for her to sing it I much prefer her in Moulin Rouge for sure that movie has other issues in my opinion oh yeah we can talk all about <laughs> yeah, it talk about that too. but Yes, I mean, I was gonna. I was also. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The stage version there is, (laughs) (laughs) but I feel because you know, and I guess in the songs that I skip, it's because it. I don't know. It just sounds a little light, but then you get to Elephant Love Medley, where she's next to you and McGregor, and she holds. She does hold her ground. Right. Yeah. Um, Yes. And even in Sparkling Diamonds, you know, when she sings um, uh, Material Girl and everything yeah. else, she does hold her own. But then, but then you listen to Karen Olivo do it on the, on the uh, cast recording. Yeah, for the, she kills and it you're, for sure. And you're like, oh, okay, this is so rich and so different, but still yeah, beautiful. Yeah. We when we were living in LA, so they had this show, and it went to to Vegas for a little while too. But um, they do this thing called For the Record, and they take different directors' films, like they did a Tarantino one, and they did a Baz Luhrmann one, they did a John Hughes one. The Baz Luhrmann one, they so basically it's like a review of. I think they just did the Red Curtain. They basically they they didn't just do the Red Curtain because they did um, Gatsby too. Oh, isn't Gatsby um, part of it? No. I think it's the final, no, the, isn't it? The no, Gatsby, it's no, it's a trilogy. Strictly, oh. The Red Curtain trilogy is Strictly Ballroom, because it f- focuses on dance. Romeo and Juliet focuses on speech. Moulin Rouge focuses on music. For some reason, so, I thought Gatsby was in there. No, Gatsby came many years after I the fact, know, and it yeah. and it's like an addendum. It's like the, here's your extra one. This yeah. is your bonus. This, this is your literature one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, but they, they took the four films... And they basically did scenes and vignettes from one into the other, and they kind of had they them tie the, they tie seamlessly flow yeah. in and out of all the different scenes. And I really liked how they did that because they were able to take the best moments from all four films and weave it into this big epic musical adventure. And it had a live band, and like it was oh in the round, so, so you were seated throughout. Like the when the Green Fairy is playing her violin, like. Her and Harold Dealer are up on the bar, like, dancing, and there's, like, people sitting on either side, like, in the audience drinking their drinks and, like, raising their glasses, and they, like, encourage audience participation, and, you know, it's a lot of fun. The way that's that they amazing. Did Why did you leave? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was amazing. Well, Baz went to it, and he was like, this was the best thing ever. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the way that they did, I mean, all the songs, but... Um, the songs from Moulin Rouge, I I really enjoyed, especially um, like Diamonds Are Girl's Best Friend and stuff mm-hmm. like that. They did a really good job. I didn't see, I, I, I didn't look this up and I'm so bad at myself, but like, would this, do you know who the music supervisor was or was there a music? So the, um, the production company, I believe at the time, I don't know if this is what they're still called, but um, it was Chris Isaacson presents, and then I think the music director, who would have been the person I think getting the um, so for the record, not for the not for the Moulin. You were you talking about Moulin Rouge? Oh, you talking Rouge, about who, yeah. who in the film was the music? The supervisor? film, yeah. Oh, geez, no, I don't know. <laughs> oh, we, crap. we should Google I that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that they're. I mean, I guess they would have had. To, that's probably who got all the rights to all the songs, right? Um, and then I don't know and if then it works the same way with the music with the musical. Let's see. With well, with the stage version, I know that Chris Bratton had for Baz. There were certain songs that they couldn't take to Vegas because right. they weren't able to get them. For um, for the record, yeah, yes. Um. So Craig but Armstrong. For the film, I'm looking. I'm looking. Craig Armstrong was 
one of the was an arranger. I don't know if he was the arranger or an arranger. Um, this is Justin Levine. Oh, and then there's also Matt Dunkley as another arranger and did prep music prep. I don't oh. know what that means. So it sounds like it was a team of supervisors. <laughs> yeah. So all working together. They all. I feel it like. This crew, I don't know, they did magic. Yeah, <laughs> they did. Well, and that I think that's sort of, from what I've gathered from like interviews and stuff, uh, it seems like this entire movie was just a team effort. Yes. Like, even with the actors, like they in their three months of rehearsals, like they would rehearse stuff, and then when they got the, then they'd get like final pages after the rehearsal because of something that they did in the rehearsal which like that doesn't that's very rare in a film uh, yeah and, and you're making it sound more like a theatrical process rather than collaborative a, and yeah that i think that that made it that much more special and unique it was it's such a great film and again it holds up like it holds water to this day absolutely and yeah, it it's down i feel classic. like it's timeless because because yeah. of how unique it is and there really wasn't anything like it ever, ever before this movie and cockroaches will be here for the past <laughs> humans yes forever. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before we get into a segment i like to call sharp and flat Ooh, um i don't know is there anything about so. moulin rouge that we didn't get to talk about i don't think that there was anything i mean i just love the movie and i love it's truth beauty freedom and love yes <laughs> that's amazing and on that note let's give it going to sharp and flat all right sharp flat so in this section we're going to highlight some moments if we liked it it's sharp and if we didn't like it it's flat get it music humor ah <laughs> uh, who wants to go first with their sharps Ooh, like so just pick moments from the movie that you well, feel are sharp anything so okay let me give you an example i really love the green fairy moment uh i always will always sharp that because it kylie minogue is in it for three seconds and i'm and it's beautiful uh and then turns into ozzy uh, osborne at the end (laughs) (laughs) um i really do love the costumes especially the can can ones like the details in them are mind-blowing and that's one of the things that i was missing in the stage version where they were i think they went more like the historical route where they are generic can-can girls rather than what this movie did was make them personas Mm -hmm. but like i just i I miss the little windmills on nini's cost (laughs) on nini's skirt yes (laughs) i love the fact that all the musicians are bald i don't know why i just do (laughs) I'm going to sharp the Duke breaking the fourth wall in like a virgin. (laughs) And then there are five musical numbers that I just really love in this movie. Surprisingly, not Elephant Love Medley is its own beast. I'm going to just say that. I mean, I feel like you can't say, I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't love that. Right. Uh, But El Tango de Roxanne, the whole thing. The best. Amazing. Sharp, sharp, sharp. I agree with you. The show must go on because it is beautiful especially like i mentioned that moment with the curtain behind her that is breathtaking the beat and the strings at the very end when they're holding like the show yes at the oh so good and then basically like the last three songs the hindi said diamonds come what may reprise and kudita finale all are amazing um oh i think that i forgot to ask you all (laughs) speaking of hindi sad diamonds how do you feel they did that like i think you could look back on it with an eye nowadays where you're kind of like oh maybe i mean i don't feel like i feel like it was a nod to like the the show you know was supposed to take place in india Mm -hmm. and i think that they it was like a nod to bollywood yeah, I think I think it was done out of love really and f- reverence for the genre. I don't know that I'm a, I'm the person I can to see, ask. Yeah, I grew up with it, so I love it. Whereas I feel like I could see someone looking back on it and yeah, wondering, you know, it's a little I ha- appropriative. I don't Do know. We, yeah, you know? 
think um, because they're saying where, like, they're not like saying that they created it. They're like talking about it being the sh- the show takes place and that you know I don't know. I I guess I'm not really the person to to answer that. Um, you know, doing this podcast, watching things with 2021 eyes, where the conversation about things like this is different totally. uh, than it was when it was made. Absolutely. I am going to agree with you saying it was made with love and respect for um, the culture and the Bollywood, Bollywood films. Yeah. I personally, because I'm so emotionally attached to it, I cannot detach myself and give like a valid supportive answer for it because mm-hmm. like we grew I grew up watching this film. Same. Yeah, I feel the yeah. same so, way. Um, but like, I, I don't think I they're heard. making fun of it. No. Um, it doesn't come off like that. If anyone wants, any of the listeners is from India or or has a better response to this, let me yeah. know. You know the socials. I'll get to them later. Uh, so <laughs> what were your sharps then? I agree with a lot of your sharps. Same. Um, yeah. Definitely Roxanne. I mean, the whole movie's a banger. Roxanne, the costumes, the editing, the the mm-hmm. conceptualization, mm-hmm. the art direction, art direction, the production design. I, I mean, the orchestration is like the biggest sharp to me. I love how the movie sure. starts. That's a sharp for me. Yes, with the bookends. Like yeah, yeah, just like the mm-hmm. way the whole the way. The oh, with the, the curtains and, and the. Well, just like how, yeah, that, but also like just how they set the scene with Christian. Uh, on his typewriter and I don't know I just I love it I kind of wish I'm trying it. to think of flats in that movie for me and- oh I had I had to dig but so before we get to flats every once in a while I come across what I like to call a natural it's neither a sharp nor a flat I but it. I still need to like I have feelings about it that I need to express okay. so um I think the quick cuts did get to me this time where it was a little jarring because, again, it's been a minute since mm-hmm. I've seen it. Uh, but, like, I, I'm a, I, I could still live with them, but to, like, you know, I'm getting getting up there in the age and everything. <laughs> yeah. A little fast stuff is not great. Uh, the other thing that is a natural for me is the pitch, the whole song, where I do like the fact that Ziegler works off his like he improvs a lot and you know like she's confessing uh you know oh yeah let's talk about the show and everything but spectacular the whole whole thing like when they start the song and they're all like not together vocally with uh the song you know like yeah when they're when they do that part and then but then they go into like so, musical theater world that transition yeah yes, I, that's great but i kind of wish i had a little bit more of like the beginning yeah where they're like oh what's the what words are we saying i don't know <laughs> yeah. i'm playing off of you that's yes. just me though it's a bit I, of a we went from community theater to broadway real yes, quick in that right. moment well, right. they are we 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 missed regional. We missed, <laughs> we missed the out of town. We missed, we missed the out of out town, of town tryouts. Tryout. Okay. And another sharp for me is oh. that the whole scene where she thinks that Christian's the Duke and she's just acting all crazy and she's like, woo, like her <laughs> ruffling her. Oh and then my you gosh, hear so like funny. the that noisemaker go off when she's <laughs> twirling her robe around. Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Do you want me to go first for flats so you have a little more time to think? Sure. Okay, so since we we had a conversation about the Indian influence, and now I'm going to have a, another strong conversation about casting John Leguizamo as Toulouse. He, he is a little person. You already have a little person in the cast as uh, the petite princess. Well, I, I mean... I understand that Baz has a relationship with John Leguizamo from Romeo and Juliet, but you could have cast somebody that's yeah, yeah. quite appropriate. That's a thing where you look back right. and you go, oh. Oh, I'm also looking at current Moulin Rouge because they don't do that. Right. They should. Yeah. Because he's a real person. It's not like 
Christian and Satine are clearly made up characters, but Toulouse Lautrec is a real right person. Right. So. And I mean, hello, like there's other mediums of entertainment with actors that yeah. are of that stature and of that absolutely and they're freaking phenomenal phenomenal so right. let's open it up i agree yeah. with you let's open it up let's get because I, I i think i did read though that in some scenes like they had to cast a stand-in for john leguizamo uh for mm-hmm. like certain shots when he's not like facing the camera they had mm-hmm. somebody who is the correct height and not be on their knees so yeah that's... come on guys do a little better uh the other thing this is just this watch i never questioned this beforehand there's a lack of queer representation because i feel Mm -hmm. like moulin rouge itself is very like bohemian bohemian you you do see in the beginning during like those quick cuts like uh two dudes dancing together but like i mean i feel like the the five of the guys so like to lose christian the argentinian and the bald guy and the guy with the beard maybe had fun together at some point i'm sure yeah. with their little uh on their i agree with you. I think fairy it, and some of the yes. girls some of the girls yeah yeah and you know in reality that that was the case and you know that yeah, there. People were definitely probably drawn to places like that because they could they could be themselves there. Well, and that's the whole ideal of truth, beauty, freedom, freedom and, and love. Love, and yes. Also, just you know that bo- bohemian lifestyle. It's, and well, it, I, I think that one thing that you could say, and I'm not trying to like defend the choices that were made, but I think it's a good thing if you go like, oh, that wouldn't. Sometimes I think it's a good thing if you go like, oh, that wouldn't fly today because that means we've progressed. And we've right. gone, okay, no more of that. No more of that. Bring in, bring in the right way to do it. And I do feel like if it was made today, Baz would include that. If I feel like at that point, it yeah, wasn't like, necessary. It was like an afterthought. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it was not top of mind as yeah. it should have been. The gay panic joke would have been cut from it where, you know, the Argentinian accidentally touches Christian's junk area. Or yeah. His area, if you will. And he's like, hilarious. nothing funny. <laughs> Like that wouldn't that probably would have been cut. Right. Um and then the last flat that I have, this is so stupid, but I'm gonna say it, that the Duke's part in El Tango de Roxanne isn't on the soundtrack. I'm very upset with that. It's not, now that you're thinking about it, right? Oh. <laughs> he 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 comes in at the very end and it's when he's basically going to rape Satine. Right. Sorry but like that's what yeah no that's definitely the intention right and and it's only in the his singing is only in the movie it's not on the soundtrack and i was like but like you get like that forebodingness about him and like he's now he's really the villain of the story Mm -hmm. and you don't get that on any shred of like feeling bad for for him is gone as much but any shred is gone he was such yeah. a idiot the whole movie too. He was terrible. Oh my gosh. Uh, okay. He did you... Such a great job that actor. Um, oh gosh, uh, Richard Roxborough. Yeah, who looks so different out of makeup. Yeah. Like, great job. Like the makeup department too on this movie. Great yeah. job. Unreal. Do you have any flats? It's okay if you don't. I have I had think, moments. I think where... you you brought up really good some ones. really good ones. Um, Thank you. Been doing this a while. <laughs> like the, uh, it was, it was hard thinking about it, and then all of a sudden I'm just like, oh wait, these two things, and then that stupid thing. But I think that there's probably I, I'd have to watch it again, honestly. Um, like it's, with a, the it's fresh a, with, eyes, with a critical eye, with mm. with fresh eyes and not nostalgic eyes, if that makes sense. Like it's still hard because I was trying to do it with a critical eye. But the nostalgic eye kicked in. And I, I was know. like, but it I love this over. movie. It's a um, it's a warm blanket on a cold day. Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't I think I think you brought up the the flats. I think that there aren't many in this movie. Right. But those are the ones you But the ones up that are strong, there are strong, strong flats. flats. I mean strong there's flats. <laughs> there's probably other ones throughout. Yeah. Again, I am one person. <laughs> These are my opinions. 
and I am like a lot of the stuff that I've covered on this podcast, I'm not emotionally attached to. So I could rip it apart left and right. This is something I have seen conservatively a thousand times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I listened so. to your episode about Thumbelina. Oh yeah, that one I ripped apart. So I, great. I love Thumbelina. But oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. I I enjoyed the episode. It was so good. But, it, but again, like they said, there was like a childhood connection, nostalgia connection, mm-hmm. like you're saying about this too. It's like same thing. It's like if you look at it, like I don't know. Like I, my favorite movie of all time is Labyrinth, and I feel like if you've never seen Labyrinth, you'd probably watch it and be like. Okay, why is that child? Why is that man coming after that child? Eh? <laughs> There's oh, we can get a lot Both of children flats. really because Jennifer Connelly was like 14 in that movie. But I mean, there's just and it's just inappropriate weird... costumes. Inappropriate. Uh huh. But it's like still my favorite movie, and I can't I can't watch it without my nostalgia eyes. As long as like like the things that I mentioned, as long as like we can call out call out the movie yeah. on it but still enjoy it, I feel like that's okay, personally. Like... Well, you can do that with several films from the golden age of Hollywood. Oh my gosh, old musicals. Like, there's a lot of cringe moments. Oh my gosh, yeah. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, everyone. (laughs) We could talk about it, yet I still love it. It was that... It was episode seven on the podcast. Oh, so. I'm going to go back and listen. I can't wait. <laughs> oh, it was a lot of like, why is this allowed? There, there is a lot of <laughs> suspension, loud. the suspension of disbelief that you have to put into that show as an adult to enjoy <laughs> yes. it. Totally get it. As a kid, I was just like, ooh, all their dresses are different colors and they're really good dancers. I want to build a barn. Like, it was so sweet. <laughs> Would you add any of the songs to your life's playlist? Like, you know, you're in the car driving somewhere and you're like, let's put on Moulin Rouge or... I feel like we we do that. We put on, like, bad soundtracks in the car. Yeah. And Moulin Rouge is one of them for um, sure. I don't know that there's, like, one, one in particular. I mean, You're I'm, allowed to say the whole boy. thing. I mean, I said the whole thing. The yeah. whole thing. I like the know, Mega Mix. Yeah, because, you know, there's uh, every once in a while, you, like you said earlier, it depends on your mood. Yes. So, like, even the stuff that I tend to skip, maybe I'll listen to, maybe I'll listen to One Day I'll Fly Away. Who knows? I remember feeling annoyed. I think maybe this is remedied now. I actually haven't looked into it in a while. But um, growing up in the age of CDs and when the movie came out, um, there was also the, so when Romeo and Juliet came out, there was a, the original soundtrack released and then there was a volume two that was released a couple years later, and they did the same thing with Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge, yeah. Why aren't the volume twos on Spotify? Are you I'm annoyed because it's like all the well, extra movies and orchestrations, and like I listen to that. And stuff. actually, even in even in Gatsby, like a lot of the a lot of the songs, I like I bought um, the CD. That, the, no, I I bought it on I, iTunes. Um, oh, that's a that's a great soundtrack too. Oh, it is mm-hmm. so good. I think Jay Z did that whole soundtrack, but mm-hmm. um. The, on on Spotify, it's like not all there. Well, I think because of title, Jay Z owns title, oh, yeah, and yeah. all his music is on title. Maybe that's oh, is that it, is that his app? Because it's like a movie soundtrack. Yeah, that he, it he would has be... a, a streaming app called Title. Yeah, but um, yeah, that I have noticed discrepancies. That that is one thing I think that has not been prioritized as well is like sometimes on streaming services maybe this is a a general flat soundtracks are not compiled correctly on streaming services they should be put in order right even like twilight much easier to look up well back to the future yeah like all the great soundtracks like come on let's let's get it together i know we live in the age of like the song but soundtracks like you look back on your life and they're a very real thing they're um, part of your music yeah. education and part of part of your emotional growth as a person. I we uh, on our podcast we just had um, like a, a listeners lounge episode where people sent in questions, and um, one of the questions was about music that influenced what you listen to today. And I oh. one of mine was a soundtrack. It was the Forrest Gump soundtrack. Oh really? And because I grew up listening to that, and it's like 
60s and some of the best music out of the 60s and 70s and it was just such a solid set but you're right like i feel like streaming platforms they, don't really they don't do a good job with soundtracks and that includes some musical soundtracks as yeah. well like the newer musical soundtracks they've taken very good care of mm-hmm. but the older like i would say anything that was released before wicked for example they haven't necessarily put it up there correctly or there's just random songs and like the whole thing isn't there what so that is awful that should be somebody's job to take care of that because that is our history and on that note we're done with the episode everyone Woo-hoo! that was so fun right isn't it fun to talk about movies you love or yes. hate <laughs> yes oh i want to uh, come and do a hate episode that would yeah be fun. i know I we, we've established this so we're going to talk afterwards and we're going to mm. figure out what this movie <laughs> is that you both were thinking of uh, oh there's more than one there's for more me. than one but there's definitely one that's like we're going to talk about that one. But first, Mallory and Lauren, which is there anything you would like to plug or promote? Well, we have um, a new single that is coming out on October 29th yep. that you can pre-save if you go to our Instagram uh, at Crimson, the letter C, music. There's a little link in the bio and you can click on that to pre-save the new song. And then your podcast, Liner Notes. The po- our podcast is called The Liner Notes with Crimson Calamity. And you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. And You can follow that on Instagram, too, at yeah. Liner Notes Pod. <laughs> All this will be in the show notes, so don't Amazing. worry about <laughs> spelling stuff out. <laughs> Future me is going to be like, what did it do? <laughs> <laughs> I know how you feel. I do the show notes on ours, and it's, it's uh... a lot of work. It's a, it's a it's a lot of fun and a lot of like what am I saying? Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to follow me or ask me questions or give me answers to the questions that we've asked earlier, you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at buttersongpod. Tell us your story about Moulin Rouge, I guess. If there's one person out there who hates this movie, please tell me why you hate it. Because uh, we were giving it a love fest today. So... <laughs> There's that. And then if you want you're to be wrong, part of but you're, <laughs> you're allowed to have your wrong opinion. Give us your opinions. We will judge you. Uh, <laughs> and if you want to be part of next episode's conversation, we're going back to Riverdale. That's right. We're going to be talking about the season five episode of Riverdale next to normal. Thank you again. I will definitely have you guys come back on. We'll, we'll talk about something. Hopefully it's a wild and crazy ride that we go on with the next movie or TV show. <laughs> And stay safe, everyone. Bye for now. Bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to CastBox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.